when everybody in your industry is talking about one hot button issue, it's so easy to just join the conversation with another me too. And here's my opinion on it. And you're not going to stand out in a crowded marketplace where you're just agreeing with everybody. Uh, but if you're willing to have a, a rational contrarian viewpoint in a trending topic, you're going to appear in a lot more articles than just agreeing with it and going along with it. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. We got with you today, the Knucklehead Stephen. And uh, I want to say, like, welcome back to the show, just because it's been like a little bit of a hiatus. I've been busier than a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest, or woman, whatever it is, 2022. So um, wh- what I want to say is welcome back to the show. But for those of you who are listening, you half the time you send me emails about not posting enough episodes anyway. So welcome back to the conversation, I guess, would probably be a better way to put it. So Mickey... Uh, Mickey Kennedy, who's our guest for today, uh, I, I want you to uh, uh, to say hey, and we'll uh, we'll introduce you to to the audience. But uh, it's nice to to have somebody on the show who can <laughs> share in some of the entrepreneurial type struggles. We were just chatting before I pressed record uh, about some of what we're going to maybe jump in today. So um, anyway, with that, welcome to the show, Mickey. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh man. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an honor to, to talk with somebody who's, uh, who's felt the struggles of where some of their, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but personal limitation sometimes comes out in the way that the business gets ran. Um, I am a, you know, self, um, a, like a recovering control freak, I guess is would probably be the best way to put it. Realizing that I, I screw up constantly. I mean, the whole premise of knucklehead is not one of us has got this all figured out. We're going to, we're probably going to screw up more than that we're going to succeed. And in the process of doing so, we're going to figure out a way that makes it work. So, um, so when it comes to the topic that I was, that I was uh, touching on, when it comes to some of your personal limitations coming out in the execution of your business, am I, am I putting words in your mouth? It was, is that kind of, you know, simply uh, what you're, you know, I don't want to simplify, oversimplify it, but is that kind of what I'm hearing you, you talk about in terms of what some of your, your findings have been over the last maybe year or two uh, in your business? Yeah, I spent probably the first 12 to 14 years of my business just struggling with uh, hiring and keeping employees. They would just funnel through very quickly. I think the record was like two years for someone to stay. And uh, I was part of a marketing mastermind and an HR professional there finally set me aside and said, I'm tired of, of listening to every the session you just sort of lamenting about your staffing issues. Uh, you know, I don't work with small businesses, but I'd be willing to do it as a favor for you. And she interviewed all my staff and she came back and she, she said the problem wasn't the staff, it was me. And that I was a micromanager and uh, my exacting expectation of perfection was costing my employees their sanity. And so I tried to stop myself from jumping behind employees every time they ended a phone call uh, with suggestions on how they could improve the interaction and what they should and shouldn't say. Uh, I, so in April of 2015, I just told the staff, I'm going home and I'm going to work from home, focusing on marketing and strategy. And I um, named one of the people who had been there a couple of years uh, as the managing editor and that uh, she 
would uh, basically manage them instead of me. And most of the people that were there when I left are still there. And that's been, you know, many, many years. So uh, this HR professional did me a favor by identifying that I was the weak link. I was the reason that people did not like being there. And, you know, I, I think that there's a challenge being an entrepreneur where you want everything perfect and you want to have every conversation a certain way. I, I came from a marketing concept of, you know, never say no. So I'm always trying to practice with the staff ways that they can say yes while also, you know, breaking something to them that we can or can't deliver. And so uh, I, 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 I realize that my staff is doing a good enough job and they don't need someone standing behind them, uh, basically whittling down everything they do and just criticizing them. And it's, it's been good because now I have a really great relationship with the staff. It's more about building up each other and being there for each other rather than, you know, this, this tendency to be perfect. Well, it's, I, I love how you, uh, I love how you isolated the fact that, you had made a good decision in hiring some great people in the beginning. And then second of all, you know, your, your need or want for, I would say for learning was, is why most people would join a mastermind. Did you have an alternative, uh, you know, motivation whenever you joined the mastermind? Um, I was originally looking for just marketing advice from other people and what they were doing that was working and stuff like that. But over time, it became more of focusing on strategy and trying to, um, you know, uh, I guess, record your processes and just get your systems down and really effective and making yourself scalable. Yeah. In the rank war, we call that, well, military, uh, we, we call that COA one, two, and three. And you know, having presented uh, best courses of action uh, over the course of my career, even on the commercial side or, or uh, civilian side, if you will, uh, there's there's an optimal way to go. Uh, there's a, a less optimal, and then there's a way that probably works better than than what we're actually accounting for, and that is uh, best idea wins. And we were just talking about that real briefly uh, before we press record. And Mickey, I gotta I gotta ask you. <clears throat> so, in your experience, then I'm assuming working with people or things, do you, do you have a preference of whenever you go to hire? I mean, do you, do you try to hire folks that are more like you that like working with things or do you like saying, all right, well, I know that there's a diverse blend of folks here. We got to find people who like working with people too. Yeah. I, I focus on people who have good customer service skills. Um, I used to be uh, obsessed with uh, giving my employees editing tests and making sure that their English was impeccable. And what I found is that uh, you get shy English majors who don't want to be on the phone and don't want to talk to staff uh, or customers, and they don't want to communicate with the staff and support each other. So I started hiring people who had backgrounds as servers or in retail. And I found that those were my uh, best employees because often this was their first real job uh, using their degree. And yeah, you know, and, and they were thankful and they were good working with people. And I found that that's a skill set that I don't necessarily have, but I, I find that that's important for my customers. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. So let's, let's do our audience a little bit of a favor here. So you and I, um, we, we both run uh, agencies. It sounds as if though, uh, on the project side uh, that I work on working with folks's voice and helping people leverage that voice to go and 
what we call bring dead leads to life through the power of podcasting. What, what tell people a little bit about what you do and and how you came up with this idea working in the agency world um, relative to marketing. Sure. So basically, what I do is I help get press releases out to the media. Um, I originally started by just building a database of journalists uh, about 25 years ago and contacted them over a year asking if I could send them press releases. And at the time, uh, they were like, sure. I mean, email was still still in its infancy at the time. And they they were like, yeah, we, we would love to get stuff that's targeted to us and what we cover. Um, now, I, I have a feeling they get too much. They get deluged with email. So uh, the, 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 you know, that, that part has changed. But what hasn't changed is the opportunity that if you have a, a message um, that's newsworthy enough, a journalist will turn it into an article or story about you. Um, and, and that's what we hope to achieve. We hope to get earned media where you might get an article in the New York Times or Fats Company or uh, you know something along those lines, depending on what your industry is. And uh, over time, uh, we were approached by the Newswire, PR Newswire, which is the oldest and largest Newswire, uh, to also send our releases through them. And at the time, I pointed out that they charge over $1,000 to move a 500-word press release nationally. And my clients were paying at the time a couple hundred dollars. And so um, they, they saw my market, which was entrepreneurs, startups, small businesses, uh, authors, people like that. And they said, well, we don't really serve them currently. Uh, and our salespeople wouldn't be interested in servicing that market. So, you know, why don't we do a custom national distribution for your market that would also go to all the trades and allow us to have a win-win? And so that's what we did. We schedule all of our releases for next business day so that they can work on them overnight because they have an editorial team that's there just in case there's breaking news or a recall or something happens in Asia and they weren't doing a lot. And so it wasn't co didn't cost them any additional labor to process our releases and set them up overnight to go out the next morning. And so that's sort of like what I tried to do throughout my whole entrepreneurial experiences, you know, find a niche and try to find a win-win situation with partners and people like that so that, uh, you know, they get additional revenue and we get additional distribution and coverage. Yeah. And I, I understand that. That's a, it's a great strategy to, uh, uh, to deploy. You felt an, you feel the need that quite frankly, that that particular, um, uh, organization wasn't necessarily servicing. So that's entrepreneurship 101. So kudos to you for, for pulling that trigger. I'm sure it came with challenges though. Uh, in the execution yeah. where the rubble meets the road, one of them we, we touched on, um, you know, th there's growing an organization is different than actually facilitating your service, right? Going and selling a project and then being the creative vision behind that project and then delivering against what you've sold. Those are all three separate motions that to fall under one umbrella, you got to have a, a bunch of different people kind of rowing in the same boat. So talk to me real quick about some challenges that you, that you ran into uh, that you didn't account for and ones that you, that you did account for. You, you, you're, you're a very sharp guy. You've done some really great things with your, you know, with your, with your time and energy and, and business. So kudos to you there. What did you account for that actually worked differently than what you anticipated? Right. So I think that one of the things that I did account for is resistance from people who are open to trying one press release 
and then make a decision whether press releases are effective for them or not. And uh, it, it's, it's very challenging because, you know, one press release isn't a PR campaign. And many times the person who comes to us has a press release they've already written, and it may not be newsworthy enough for them to get, you know, articles written about them. And so what I've really tried to do is inject education into my business. Um, we have a, a section on our website, which is a, a free masterclass I put together on um, uh, press release ideas and strategies that are newsworthy and effective. And it's, uh, you know, for example, if someone comes to me and they said, I've tried press releases, I've got one more left in me, what could I do? I tell them this works every single time. I've never had it fail. And that is to do a survey or study in your industry, um, send it out, take those results, uh, put together a press release with the most interesting results, have a co really compelling quote in there about why you feel um, that the, the numbers skewed a certain way. And, uh, uh, that that's always generated between usually six to 14 articles um, for people. Uh, there are, you know, of course, some tricks you want to ask really compelling questions that are relevant right now. And with the marketplace being the way it is with so many uncertainties with staffing, uh, supply chain, other little things like the economy, you know, wh where we really stand, there, there are questions that people in your industry would want to know right now. Are, um, are they still having difficulties hiring? Are they still planning on hiring? Are they spending more money, less money, or the same on marketing? Um, do you know are are they you know pulling back a little bit in some areas of the business? Those would be really good results to have within your industry and to share. And so that's I've become more of a teacher over time and trying to get my customers to sort of understand that a press release about you know the latest iteration of their product, while it's important to you it may not be important to a journalist and them being a gatekeeper, you have to sort of reverse engineer an announcement so that you're giving them something that they do want to share with their audience. And they feel like, yes, this is really interesting and exciting. And so sometimes you have to sort of uh, do a, a survey or study. Uh, sometimes uh, you, you have to sort of uh, pull back from what it is that you're announcing and refocus it and reframe it in a way that serves the journalist and their audience so that, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it is it is attainable to get PR and it happens a lot for many of my clients. But for, I would say, the majority of the clients, I'm dealing with press releases about a new hire and, you know, uh, and nobody cares that you have a new HR director unless they're really exceptional or well-known or something like that. And those types of press releases generally don't do very well. And so, um, you know, my, my real reason for being is to get these people doing strategic press releases and thinking about PR through a different um, mode because PR is really valuable and it can really, you know, uh, result in a huge leverage where a little bit of effort can lead to a lot of results. Well, I, I love that, that, that idea that you, that you closed that point with, uh, simply because I'm, I'm reading about it. I, I, th I think it, it, the idea of complexity versus complicated in team of teams, uh, general Stanley, Stanley McChrystal wrote in a book about how, you know, heavily institutionalized, siloed uh, departments, if you will, within the context of an organization may not necessarily uh, serve for solving the problems that, you know, that are today's problems with yesterday's framework, so to speak. And, and, you know, that's not necessarily what he's saying, but 
trying to simplify it from my Marine Corps knuckle dragon brain. That's how I understood it. So whenever, whenever I'm hearing you talk about PR as a strategy, how does somebody who, you know, has never used, um, particularly that tool in a way outside of maybe posting a picture or two, you know, and putting some words to that post in, in social media, how, how do they integrate, you know, that lack of experience, so to speak, to help get educated? I mean, outside of obviously the free masterclass that you're talking about, how, how would somebody sure. help actually develop a PR strategy? Right. So I, I would recommend that free PR masterclass that I have. It's at um, ereleases.com forward slash plan, P-L-A-N. And it's completely free. There's no upsell or anything like that. I, I'm really just trying to educate people. But it's basically an audit that walks you through probably about eight ideas that are strategic that you should consider um, doing. And they're ones that work and they work again and again. So occasionally you'll do a press release on a new product launch and it might get a little bit of uh, pickup, but these are the ones that my customers who get success again and again are sort of focusing on. And it really is trying to identify different types of needs that are out there in the marketplace. Um, you know, and, and they're, they, they seem very elemental. And I think that most of the best ideas are, um, but it's sometimes harder to work your head around and sort of, uh, accept the simplicity of it. For example, when everybody in your industry is talking about one hot button issue, it's so easy to just join the conversation with another me too. And here's my opinion on it. And you're not going to stand out in a crowded, uh, market marketplace where you're just agreeing with everybody. But if you have a contrarian viewpoint and you're saying something against the mainstream, you will get picked up and you often get picked up in a lot of places because it's a hot topic in your industry. Uh, but if you're willing to have a, a rational contrarian viewpoint in a, tr a trending topic, you're going to appear in a lot more articles than just agreeing with it and going along with it. That's an interesting viewpoint. It's an interesting perspective to have uh, over the last two decades, several decades, when getting along to go along seems to be the uh, the best way to go and get, I mean, the customer's always right, right? That's, at least that's that's what we're told. However, we know through scientific study, I think it's the Challenger Sale. It's a really good book that talks about how the highest performers are always the ones that are willing to go at least a little bit against the grain. Uh, you know, in my profession in sales, it's not always... Um, it's not always the most popular opinion to tell somebody where they're wrong. It's how you tell them that potentially what they have to say is not necessarily uh, the most accurate and helping them, you know, helping me. For instance, I, I, let me tell you this. Like, I have a good friend of mine. He always says that, you know, he tells me the story about a, a guy who drives a truck that, you know, has, he brings it in to get serviced and uh, the Cadillac converter is completely burned out. And, uh, he doesn't understand why it keeps happening. And he, he thinks that the truck is a lemon. He, he brought it back to the car dealership. He's like, this is, you sold me a bad truck. And so essentially the service manager was like, well, have you ever, you know, ran it all the way down to empty? He's like, yeah, the last two or three times that I've had to fill up, I've actually ran out of gas. And, and so essentially he was creating the problem by, by not filling up his gas tank early enough. And it was, it was burning out the Cadillac converter, stressing the engine out. So he came in with the perspective that he bought a lemon when in fact he was the one creating the problem. And so that's a, it's, a, it's like a story that one of my buddies tells all the time that uh, is just a, another way of saying, hey, listen, wherever, wherever you think you've you arrived at whatever the problem is, it's always better to ask somebody else because they may have a different perspective that can help you see things differently. So um, I appreciate that perspective because half the time, you know, 
half the time I think I'm right. My wife reminds me constantly that I'm, that I'm not. And that's helpful. It's helpful to actually have that conversation. I like that. What I call the dissenting voice in the conversation or the decision making framework. So can you think of a time real quick where somebody who wanted to use PR in a way to, to help, you know, not necessarily just gain exposure, uh, but they wanted to, to, to amplify something that they felt was very important for most, for most people to, to know about that it worked kind of against them. We're, we're like, Oh, maybe they shouldn't have done PR to go out and get that type of attention where it worked against them. Yes. Um, we had a client many years ago named Alerca, and they were releasing a genetically modified cat that would be allergen free. And they thought, this is hot, this is great. And it got a lot of media attention and a lot of it was negative. Like, should we be tinkering with God and biology and genetics to make cats that are just, you know, good for people who have uh, pet allergies? And uh, it it did generate a lot of revenue for him, but it also generated a lot of headaches. And I think at the end of the day, the scrutiny became a, a little too much for them over time because it, it, it sort of got into... Uh, allegations and rumors that maybe they're not even doing what they're saying they're doing. And it just really resulted in a, a, a very difficult business that just wasn't sustainable. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, one person who probably got hundreds of articles written about them and they got Newsweek and Time covers. Should we be doing this? And you would think that with all that success, that everything would be rosy, perhaps, but, you know, like I said, the, the attention wasn't necessarily good and there was a tinge of suspicion and, um, it, you know, questioning about whether this is something that we should even be doing. Yeah, that's 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 fast. It's fascinating. First of all, fascinating product. Like, holy moly, really? <laughs> Genetically, that's that's a that's a it's a it's a crazy idea to even hear, let alone somebody pulling it off and then talking about it that they did so well. So kudos to them for for taking a risk. Um, one of my, my mentors talks about the, the value of crisis communication, you know, communicating in a crisis situation. Uh, for instance, the, the COVID pandemic in May, March of 2020, what, you know, what was the crisis communication strategic plan for most corporations or organizations at that time? And some of what I'm hearing you describe is there's not so much attention put on developing a plan for when and if that, that takes place. It's a little less of if, it's just a matter of when. So it's it's interesting hearing you you go through that. Can I I want to pivot the conversation real quick and kind of come back to that. And that is, have you seen technology outside of you know increasing the velocity between communications, whether it be through IM or email or social media, have you seen technology really shape or craft um your industry or how how's it impacted your industry and made it easier or better? I think that we've seen uh, a growth in electronic distribution. Um, you know, the wire itself has changed from being an old teletype system that just went to a dot matrix printer in a newsroom and just spit stuff out where it's available to everybody through the internet and through uh, feeds and, and that they can log in and get. So it's made it a lot easier. I've also seen a, a difference in the types of media that are getting content. Um, it used to be, uh, 
I'd say 17 years ago, if you were a blogger, the, the newswire didn't want to give you access to the feeds, uh, because they didn't think you were a journalist. And they did finally relent and start accepting journalists. Uh, but now they're very accepting of new forms of media. It's not unusual for, um, fashion influencers on Instagram to be given journalist access to news feeds and things like that, because it's true that, you know, people are getting their content from lots of different places and uh, a lot of it's through social media. That's interesting. That's interesting. Well, that goes back to my kind of my question and or point of, of how in a crisis situation uh, you could, when I say crisis, I'm, I'm using it in the context of a, uh, of things changing quickly. It's a dynamic environment. Speed and access to information is, is critical. And so are, so is the clarity of the communication, uh, across all those mediums to, to whomever it is that you're wanting to get your audience or your, your, uh, message across to. So in the, in that instance, you you just described what today's media environment is. So it's, it's, it's a challenge. I'll just, I'll just leave it, leave it at that. So when it comes to, uh, large organizations, that are out there, the, the Amazons, the, you know, the larger organizations who, tr who have, who have kind of been first to market, so to speak on the technological innovations and in, in terms of distribution and done it maybe better than some other folks. Do you see any others that are doing this really, really well from a corporate standpoint that are, that are actually using PR, you know, honing their message, crafting and owning different mediums and, and doing it very well? I see a lot of the smaller startups doing it very well. Um, you've got, you know, people that you see on Shark Tank, like Manscaped and Squatty Potty and stuff like that, that seem to be working very well with PR and with social media. And they're often using them hand in hand. I think that the larger companies are a little more clumsy and there aren't many, I think, that are doing it very well. And I also think that a lot of them find it very difficult to get PR uh, because if you're a large company, a journalist doesn't often like to write about you unless it's something negative or they're bringing something to light because they know that you can advertise and you can promote. And so a journalist tends to skew towards smaller and unknown uh, companies. It's, it's, you know, I, I am always discovering articles about a Kickstarter or Indiegogo or somebody that's doing something novel and new. And I think that journalists like to act like they're curators of something that you probably haven't been exposed to. And of course, you know, you have been exposed to Microsoft and Microsoft Word and Office. So, you know, the, the articles for those are generally fewer and, pro you know, relegated to just product reviews and computer magazines. Um, but the, the real people and the real opportunities are the smaller companies, the entrepreneurs, the startups, because those are the people that journalists like to champion and bring to attention and spotlight. That makes sense. That makes sense. So that's a good call out there. I, I'd be remiss to end this conversation without this last topic. And what I wanted to, to touch on here, and I want to, I want to do it relatively quickly. And that is when it comes to journalists and folks who leverage PR as a strategy to go out and get net new business or, or uh, to gather attention, wh why do you feel like there's such a deep divide between folks with different political viewpoints when it comes to, you know, when it comes to uh, working in that space? Meaning there's combative, difficult conversations that need to happen in order to arrive to a critical decision, especially when you're talking about developing strategy. 
why is there such polar opposites uh, on on both sides of the spectrum here when it comes to today's you know media that that's more my question why why do you see that happening given your your tenure in the industry right i think because polarization works it gets people to champion on one side and raise a lot of money so if you have you know you don't look at the 99% of things that we agree upon, like family and home and good jobs. And there's so much in America that we have in common, regardless of what political type you've belonged to. And they focus on the, the hot button issues for each. And they use that because it gets people angry. It gets them emotional and it gets them willing to spend money and, you know, donate. And, you know, a lot of, and, and the media sort of encourages that as well because they're the beneficiaries of this money. You know, the, the advertising dollars goes to media, whether it's TV, uh, radio, social media. It, it goes across all different types. And I, I just think that it's it's a very unhealthy thing that that is happening. And I don't know what the answer is because I think that it's it's a closed loop system where it just encourages it and excites it and makes it, you know, people that are just really a lot more extreme on both sides. And, you know, I, 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 I think it's unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. It, well, I, I enjoy discussing it and hearing different viewpoints from people, but not necessarily just in the solution. However, I'm, I am interested in, in a solution. I, I'm, I'm more interested in, in how people view the problem. And I, and I feel as if that the framework behind that conversation is, is a little bit more healthy than, than, than maybe picking one side or the other and then coming at each other. At least it, it seems to have a much more favorable outcome anyway. It, it much more, it makes more, much, much more fun conversation, uh, much more fruitful conversation, so to speak. So, um, Mickey, I appreciate you taking some time. And listen, and this is not quite a podcast. This is not how I built this from Guy Ross. This is not a, you know, a super stuffy uh, format here. We like to keep things relatively simple, have a little bit of fun, but talk about some of the screw ups and mistakes that have led us, you know, to where we're at in terms of our career here. So uh, anything else that you want to leave these folks with before we, before we jam? Um, I would say uh, the, the biggest thing that I've been doing in my business is a lot of incremental changes. Uh, I do a lot of split testing of things and over time that's led me to uh, really engage a new customer and when we bring them in, uh, we try to start a conversation with them. And I think that so many people and e-commerce players and stuff like that forget that, you know, just you know, being human and talking to someone and having conversations is so productive because you can really get uh, and build a relationship with someone. And I think that uh, relationships uh, in business is, is how we're going to solve, you know, having a successful business. I also think it goes back to the political question before that as long as we're having a conversation and we're talking, I think that there's hope that we can get to, you know, some kind of uh, middle ground. Yeah, it's... That's, I, I'm, I'm hopeful for that too. So Mickey, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate your perspective. I'm digging for those of you who aren't getting a chance to, uh, to see what I'm seeing on the screen. He's got with like five or six dinosaurs directly behind him. And so if you haven't gone and seen Jurassic world, the new one, you can, you can just watch this podcast interview and almost get just as much dinosaur exposure. No, I'm kidding. 
kind of. All right, so Mickey, I appreciate you taking some time. Uh, what's your favorite dinosaur? I got to ask. Is it a raptor? It looks like it's a T-Rex or some type of raptor or something like that. A velociraptor probably is my favorite, because mostly because of Jurassic uh, World and Jurassic Park and all, all those movies. Isn't it crazy how they've they've changed that whole storyline? Like Jurassic Park, they were the predator, and now <laughs> they're like the the nurturing mother. And the most recent Jurassic World, it's it's bizarre the the role of the the raptor, how it's changed. Anyway, I don't want to get too far down the path with movie movie reviews. So, Mickey, I appreciate your time. For those of you who like listening, Knucklehead, we aim to to get you new episodes each and every week. Uh, sometimes we we fail, and sometimes we do very very well. So, anyway, we appreciate you. Uh, feel free to leave a review, right? If you're not subscribed to, to us, go ahead and subscribe. Mickey, what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you? Uh, just visit eReleases.com. All my social media is there on the lower right. Um, feel free to reach out and call or uh, chat online uh, with one of our editors. We have no salespeople. There's no sales quotas or commissions or anything like that. We really are here to help you. And if we feel uh, that um, PR might be a good fit for you. We're, we're, we're going to let you know. And if we feel like we can't help you, we're, we're going to tell you that as well. There you go. Fantastic. We just told you how to get in touch with them. So fantastic. I appreciate you taking some time, Mickey. Thanks for all of you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.